Well, friends, we're glad to have you. I want to welcome those that are joining us online, uh, and uh, we're glad you're hanging out with us as we continue to embark on the year 2022. Um, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if you were with us last week, we began um, just a, a short little uh, time together as we kind of embark on this new year together, just called a prayer for 2022. Um, it's just our desire for um, our church as elders and leaders um, for you, uh, for the body, uh, as we kind of seek the Lord's direction. And so it's really a prayer for you as Paul prayed for the church of Colossae. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me. As you're turning there, a legend has it that in Alaska in the 1960s, uh, 70s, and probably a little bit later on, as you were driving in uh, to uh, that rugged terrain, uh, there was a sign on the highway that would say, uh, choose your rut carefully. You might be in it for the next 150 or 200 miles. And, and the point was, is like as you, as you go on your journey, like, hey, you better be careful because once you're on a path, it's very difficult in that type of terrain to get off and just go, you know what, I'm just going to try to new, forge a new way. And I don't know about you, but I think that oftentimes just kind of reminds us of life. Um, I look back and I've been out of high school for now 20 plus years and uh, you, you can oftentimes maybe look and, and kind of think, you know what, my, I thought my path would be this or I thought I would be here at this particular point in time. And I think it's not uncommon for us to get to a certain place and go, how did I get here? Or, or more than that, not only how did I get here, but I thought I would be somewhere else. And maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, I feel like I'm in somewhat of a rut. Maybe you feel like the path that has been forged for you um, is not exactly the one that you would have picked yourself. And here's what I would want to do today is I wanted to encourage you today. I want to encourage you in really what Paul, the apostle, was praying for the church of Colossae. But I also want you just to know that, that even if you are in a season of life and it wouldn't be exactly what you desired or what you picked or what you had for yourself, that it doesn't change the fact that the Lord is still with you and that he still has a purpose and a plan even in what it is that you find yourself kind of um, in. Uh, maybe you would be one of the unusual ones and say, man, my life has worked out more gloriously and more perfectly than I could have ever thought or ever asked or ever imagined myself. And I would just say, hey, praise God for that. But can I just tell you, like for me, is while I'm very satisfied and content where I am, can I just tell you that I can see areas and seasons and times in my life where I feel like I'm in a rut. And sometimes it may not be necessarily around just my own personal things. It may not be around finances or family, but sometimes it's just around faith. And I can look up and I can go, you know, my prayer life is just more stagnant than I would like it to be. And, and then I can find myself, if I'm honest, getting a little frustrated because I'm like, Lord, here it is. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. And, and these spiritual disciplines that I should have in my life, they seem to be lacking. Uh, and, and, and then I look at uh, other areas of my life and, and times of solitude and times where I, I feel like, man, I ought to be a little further along in my faith. And I can just kind of get discouraged. I don't know if that happens to you, but I can look up and go, not only am I a pastor and I'm a leader, but I'm in my 40s. And you would think that, Lord, I would be a little further along. And I think I would just want to encourage you in all of that is that, that Paul's prayer to the church of Colossae is not just for a group of people in the New Testament church, but it's really a prayer that we can learn from. It's a, it's a prayer that we can be encouraged by. And I would just tell you, it's my prayer for our church. It's my prayer for you. Um, it's my prayer for me. 
And so as we dive in, let's just ask the Lord to give us wisdom and clarity, maybe some fresh eyes this morning. Um, And more than that, that he would use his Holy Spirit to teach our hearts, um, maybe to to soften it in in an area, maybe to prick it a little bit in another. Uh, But that would be my prayer for us this morning. So let's ask God as we dive in uh, together to help us, regardless of where we are in our rut, in our season, what path. We're taking uh, the exit that we're wanting to choose, that we would do it all wisely. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us this morning to choose wisely. Lord, I pray that you would help us most of all to walk uprightly. And I pray that as we um, dive into your word, I pray it wouldn't be mundane. I I pray it wouldn't be be lackadaisical. I pray that it it would really challenge us, that you would really use your word to chasten us and to mold us and to shape us into your image. And I pray that you would remind us of your faithfulness. And Father, I don't know where it is we are in life. I don't know what rut it seems to be that we've taken or chosen. But I pray in all of it that we would continue to keep our eyes fixed on you, knowing that you are with us. We love you. We ask that you would teach us more about you and your character, even when we struggle to walk uprightly. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Paul uh, is writing to the church of Colossae. Uh, This is a church that he has heard about, that he's longed to know, but likely never met these people, never been there. And so he's praying uh, uh, this prayer for them, even as he finds himself in the midst of his own persecutions and tribulations, even as he sits in prison, um, he pins this letter to them. And he says these words um, as a prayer in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And we'll read the whole prayer together, and then we're going to kind of hop into it in a few moments. He says, And so, from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a prayer that uh, as elders and leaders, we've been uh, memorizing and praying uh, for just our church But what Paul is saying here, if you look at where we really began last week, is that he would say, my prayer most of all is that you guys, as he prays for the church of Colossae, and we learn, is that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And last week we discussed that he used this word walk, which is the word peripateo, which literally means to walk in wisdom and understanding, to make wise choices as you walk. And we did conclude last week, and we talked about that it means that you're not sitting. Um, And if If we are thinking about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, and we're not sitting, but we're walking in a way that's fully and pleading to Him, and we're bearing fruit in every good work, which means as we walk, it means that you see something in our lives that reflects the glory of God. We do that wisely. Now, we concluded last week's message with this passage from Psalm chapter 1. And it was interesting because as we're sitting and planning, even this morning, uh, for a message on the Edgewood campus that our Edgewood campus... uh, Pastor Cody King is doing over there now. Um, we, we looked at Psalm 1 as we concluded, and, and look what it, Psalm 1 reflects to us. Maybe you saw it last week, maybe, maybe you didn't. Look what Psalm 1 says. It says, Blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So Paul's prayer to the church of Colossae is that you would walk in a manner upright that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in every way, and that you're bearing fruit in every good work. And so that you would see that to walk uprightly means this. Well, as the The psalmist writes in Psalm 1, look what he says. He says this, and we'll put it for you on the screen. He goes, blessed the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? Nor, he says, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delights in the law of the Lord. Now, when you read this, I want you to see the downward progression. He goes, the wise man walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So a wise man is walking uprightly, right? How do you walk uprightly? Well, we would conclude, and the psalmist says, and even Paul says, that you would grow in the instruction of the law of the Lord. Paul says you would grow in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The point is that if you want to walk uprightly, you do so through God's word, through his wisdom and his counsel and instruction. That's how you walk uprightly. That's what prevents you from standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the way of scoffers. But do you see the downward progression here in Psalm 1? You go, if you're not careful, from... From walking to standing, and if not careful, from standing to sitting. The, the downward progression would simply help us to realize this. If you're in a rut, you have a choice. You can continue to press forward in hopes to get out of the rut, and you can continue to walk uprightly. Or if you want, you can throw your hands up and go, you know what, I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to stand here. I'm not going to move. Or if you really would like to, you go, I'm just going to sit here. Now, what we would conclude, and I think is really practical for all of us, is that if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it implies, peripateo, walking uprightly in wisdom and understanding. It means that we're going to press forward and we're going to move forward. With the implication, I think you would see in this text, and particularly in Psalm 1, is that if you're not walking forward, if you're standing still, you're not growing. Or more than that, if you just sit down and you go, you know what, I'm just going to sit in my rut for a while, then it implies that you're okay with not moving forward, and maybe even shrinking back. My point to you is this. As we move forward today in this message, you and I are lying to ourselves if we believe that we are increasing in the knowledge and wisdom and the understanding of God if we're not moving towards Him. Because if you're not walking forward and upright, then what you're doing is you either standing or sitting or in some ways shrinking back. And my encouragement to all of us this morning, and Paul's prayer really for the church of Colossae, is that they would walk forward and that they would do what's honorable to the Lord by walking in a manner pleasing to Him in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of the Son of God. And then he continues this in verse 11 of Colossians 1. I'll show it to you. He says, And that you would be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, here are some key words here. That you would be strengthened, you could underline that, with all power, you could circle all and power, according to His glorious might. You could underline His glorious might and then circle or certainly point an arrow to His. Because the key in this, Paul is saying, to walk uprightly in a manner worthy of the Lord is not dependent upon your own strength or dependent upon your own power. It seems to be that you're being strengthened. He uses the word in the Greek, uh, dunamu, which literally is only mentioned twice, once here and once in Hebrews. And to be strengthened, it, the idea of that in Hebrews is that you'd be made ready for war. Um, and it was more in a physical sense. And so it's, it, 
it's implying that you would be strengthened to walk in a physical sense, but he says in all power, and then he uses the word all power, a different word in the Greek is the word dunamis, uh, which is the word in the Greek that's mentioned a hundred plus times, and it literally means to have dynamite or to become dynamic. It's where we get the word. And so you think about dynamite, you think about explosive power, or if you go, oh man, they're really good in basketball, they're dynamic, you would go, they're a game changer. So what he is saying, and he's praying for, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and that you would be strengthened with all dynamic power, which, by the way, does not exist apart from his power, the Lord. So this dynamic power, this dunamis-type power, is from the Lord. The only way we have it, the only way we uh, exhibit it is because God's supernatural presence and strength has been given to those who believe. Now, it's interesting because when we look at this, uh, you could look at this word power in lots of different ways and different contexts. Um, Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he goes, hey, we have this power uh, that is all surpassing. Uh, and he goes, and it's been put in us like jars of clay. Um, and so he goes, we have this power and it's been given to us. Another great example of that, and I'll put it for you up on the screen, is when Jesus is going to ascend to the Father and he tells um, his followers, his apostles, this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You've probably heard this before, but he says, but you will receive power, and he uses the word dunamis. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The implication for the disciples was this, if you want others to know me, you'll display my power. So he says, it is something that the Lord puts in us as believers, as followers of Christ, to display his glory to the nations. He goes, it's, it's in Jerusalem, it's in Judea, it's Samaria, even the places we don't want to go, and then to the, to the world, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he goes, that is the power that I give you. That is the power that Paul is encouraging the church of Colossae to walk in. Walk in an upright manner, Worthy of the call of God, growing wisdom and knowledge and understanding, so that you, ex you explode with power. That's the idea. Now, when I think about exploding with power, I think, well, we could think, okay, well, that means that we're exuberant in our worship, or uh, that means that we're um, very charismatic in our walk with the Lord, so that everybody would see what God has done. And, and I, don't, I don't know that that's really the, the greatest idea of what this word means. I think. Power here, dunamis, is not just an outward expression, but it's an inward strength. For instance, the reason why Paul uses a similar word to the church of Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you might remember Paul talking about the thorn in his side. And he goes, I prayed, I plead with the Lord that he would remove it. Then he uses the same word in this context. I'm, I don't put this for you up on the screen. But Paul says these words. He goes, but he said to me, which was, was God, um, he says, he said to me that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is being made perfect in your weakness. He uses the same word. My power, my dynamite, dynamic power is being made perfect for you in your weakness. And then Paul goes on. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Paul goes, I'll delight in my hardships so that the power, dunamis, of Christ may be made perfect and that it might rest upon me. See the implication? So power is not just, oh, hey, look at me. Look how spectacular I am. Look how I've arrived in my walk. I'm not in a rut like you're in a rut. 
my life's different than your life. Now, that's not the implication. The implication is, is that if I'm in a rut or I've hit a trail that's really hard or things are difficult, that even when I'm weak, even when I'm struggling to take a step ahead, when I'm struggling to fix my eyes forward, that I trust in God's supernatural, sovereign strength, His power, even in my weakness, even in my hardship, even my addiction, even in my inability to overcome this obstacle myself. I trust Him because His power, His dynamic power is manifested in me even when I don't have it together. That's the implication. That's what Paul is praying for this church in Colossae. That's our prayer for you. Now look, Paul doesn't just pray for the church of Colossae. Paul prays for the church of Philippi. He's praying for the church of Corinth. Um, you see all these different prayers. He's praying for the church of Ephesus. Now we happen to be reading uh, in Ephesians right now as a church. If, if you haven't joined us, you can. All you got to do is go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash Ephesians. That's pretty easy. You can see the reading plan. You can start reading along with us this week. We'd encourage you to do that. Even if you're like, well, I, I didn't you know, get started. Listen, can I just tell you, today's the 9th of January, and there's been nothing that started fantastic for me, right? I have, I have hopes to write more in my planner. It hasn't worked out. Have hopes to exercise. Well, guess what? I haven't done that yet. Um, so look, maybe you're in kind of a similar position to me. You're like, you know what? I had hopes. Look, start today. Okay, Ephesians, you're a chapter or two behind, no problem. You can catch up in a couple of days. You'll be on the right path. Get, get in that path, choose that rut wisely, and join us. Here's what Paul says to the church of Ephesians, Ephesians 3. He says this prayer for them. Look at it. He goes, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he might grant you, and then look what he says, to be strengthened with power, he doesn't stop there, through his spirit in your inner being. Why do we need his power? Well, here's why. Because power strengthens the inner man. Now, when he's talking about the inner man, I want you to realize the very first concrete power that we need is we need God's power to transform the inner man. The inner man means that we would be changed from the inside out. Now, look, we're not talking about, hey, God, I need your power today so that I can leap over tall buildings in a single bound. <laughs> That's not what we need his power for. Hey, we're not saying, hey, God, I need your power because I've got this nursing exam coming up and I need your power to get me past this. That's not what we're talking about. We're not saying, hey, Lord, I need your power because I've got these challenges you know, here and, and I need you to to give me this for that. that. That's not the idea. The idea is that, God, we need your power, and it begins with changing who I am at my core. Lord, I need your power because when I look in the mirror, I know that I'm sinful. God, when I look in the mirror, I know that what other people see is not what I always see. God, when I look in the mirror, I know that I have hopes and dreams and I've experienced failures and I have sin patterns that I haven't told others about. And Lord, if I'm honest, I, I need you to strengthen the inner man. God, I need you to change the inner man. Because God, when I look at the mirror, I know that what I look like is not what I, I desire. And so when we think, and Paul prays that the Ephesian church, and even I think the Colossian church, when he says that you would walk in a manner 
that you'd be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would be strengthened with all power. As Paul prays this for this church in Ephesus, he's going, look, that you would be strengthened in the inner man. The inner man, apart from God, can I just tell you, is dark. Paul says it lots of different ways, and, and, and he gives tons of different imagery. He goes, look, in the inner man, if you are apart from God, you're living in darkness. He would say it this way. He goes, in darkness, you are a child of, and Paul says it really strongly, that you're a child of the devil. He goes, you have no fellowship with God who is in the light. He, he, he says to the, the church of Corinth, he goes, hey, if you're not yoked to me, he goes, you know what you're yoked to? You're yoked to Belial. He goes, you, you are not experiencing the peace and the loving kindness of God in the inner being. So when Paul prays this for the church of Ephesus, he is fundamentally saying we need the power to be changed from the inside out. That God would take us out of darkness, out of shame, out of guilt, out of our sin patterns, out of the ruts that we have chosen to walk in for so long that he would remove us and that he would change the inner man. That at some point that we would say, God, I'm tired of being sick and tired. God, I am tired of doing the same things over and over and over again. I'm stuck in a rut. I've been in it for way past 150 miles. And so God, would you change me? Would you start with the inner man? That's Paul's prayer. But Paul doesn't just stop there with his prayer to the church of Ephesus. In Ephesians 3, he says, strengthen the inner man. But look at verse 17. I'll put it for you up on the screen. He says, so that. So he goes, would you strengthen the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So why does he strengthen the inner man? It's so that he could stabilize the outer man. That you and I would be rooted and grounded in love. So the implication is, is when God gets a hold of our heart, and he changes the inner man, it begins to produce something in the outer man. The outer man would be called fruitfulness. That you would be rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is, get this, love, joy, peace. He's, why does he start with love? Because isn't that the hardest to do, to love? To love other people whom you've grown accustomed to hating? Isn't that what Jesus says? Hey, yeah, you, you want to keep my, my commands? Great. It's simple. Love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he goes, and the second is very similar. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can I help you understand? If there's anybody on the planet that you hate, you are lying to yourself if you believe that God has changed the inner man. They're black. I don't like them. I hate them. God's not changed the inner man. You are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say it that bluntly. Well, I hate them because what they did to me, you'll, you'll just never understand. Jesus says, love them like I loved you. Ephesians 4, 32. Just as I've forgiven you, so you should forgive one another. When you are changed the inner man, it has implications for the outer man. The outer man flows the love and the grace and the compassion of God because you've experienced in the inner man the grace and the love and the compassion of God. Friends, do you understand what I'm saying here? The reality is you can't go, well, hey, I am walking uprightly. 
and then continue to walk in darkness. No, you can't have that. So as God strengthens the inner man, he stabilizes the outer man. And as he strengthens and stabilizes you, you begin to walk in a manner that's upright. Through valleys? Absolutely. With the obstacles? Yes. Are there some hard, hard knocks? Yes. You're walking up a cliff, you slip. You fall back, you stumble, you skin your knees. It's a little tough. You want to give up. Hey, I press on. Why? Because God has changed the inner man, and so he's stabilizing the outer. Praise the Lord. That's what he's talking about. That's what Paul is encouraging us in. He doesn't stop there in his prayer to the Ephesians, though. He didn't just say, hey, that we would be strengthened by his spirit through the inner being. He doesn't just say that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. He goes on, that you may have strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what in the world does that look like? Which I would just tell you, I do not for a moment believe that I've experienced all the fullness of God yet. And can I just tell you, it's not because God doesn't desire to give me more of him and his fullness. It's because I am a fool. It's because I find myself stuck in ruts and I find myself not being sustained all the time. And here's the deal. Christ desires to not only strengthen the inner man and stabilize the outer man, but he wants to sustain the whole man. Your entire personhood should be sustained. And that's what God desires to do. And so he wants to sustain you. Um, We'll put that for you up on the screen so you can see that. So he wants to sustain the whole man. Now, here's the deal. When he talks about being sustained in the whole man, he's, he's basically saying that you would be filled with fullness of God. Now, how do you even experience and understand the fullness of God? Again, is that signs and wonders? And is that display of his miraculous powers? No, I think it's a comprehension of Christ and how uh, ultimately he wants to manifest himself in our most practical ways. So when you think about the, the, the fullness of God, have you come to realize, as Paul says, the height and the depth of Christ or the breadth and the length of Christ? I mean, think about the height of Christ. The height of Christ goes to the heavens. And ultimately, the height of Christ is sufficient for you. That, that you can attain the wonders and the beauty of the cross. The depth of Christ, the, the very depth of who he is, means that it will reach the very greatest um, problems that you have and ultimately the greatest sin that you've ever exuded. And, and he... He'll go deeper than that, deeper still. You go, look, I, I've, I've missed it so much. I, I, you just don't know what I've done. Listen, can I just tell you, friends, that's why Christ came, so that he could reach the very depths of who you are and change you from the inner being. The width, well, you look, I mean, the width, the length, look, it, it, it's all surpassing. Yes, you've been in a rut. Yes, you've stumbled. Yes, you've fallen. Yes, you feel like, you know what? I've gotten back up multiple times. I understand. I understand. I understand your weakness. I understand your humanity. I understand your frustration. I understand. I get it. I understand what it looks, what it is like to look in the mirror and go, I'm not who I want everyone else to believe I am. I get it. I've been there. But that is how much Christ loves you. And more than that, he goes, I can sustain you. I can help you. I'll strengthen the inner man. I will sustain the whole person when you're stabilized in me. That's the prayer of Paul. Now, the question is, is how how does that happen? Well, let's flip back over to Colossians real quick. I know I'm all over the place. Colossians. 
So what is his prayer? That you would be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, we've talked about being strengthened with the power according to God's glorious might. But why? He says for all endurance and patience with joy. So when he talks about the idea of endurance, he uses the word hupomone, a word that I love. So on three, here's what we're going to do just to oblige me. On three, we're going to say the word hupomone. Okay? One, two, three. Hupomone. Now listen. This is something you can use this afternoon because you're going to be eating lunch with somebody and then they're going to start kind of complaining because life is hard and then you're going to just go, hey, dude, hupomone. <laughs> and they're like, what? Now, look, if you want go. If you want a new T-shirt, just something cool, to, just to get people to talking, just go print you a shirt and just put the word hupomone on. That's it. Just do it. put it on there. And they're like, what in the word hupo what? You go hupomone. Now, look, when you print one, bring me one because I would love to have it, okay? <laughs> now, what does that even mean? Hupomone just means to patiently endure. It just means to endure. So life is hard. You're in a rut. Hey, endure. Hupomone. Dude, endure. Now, look, when you think about uh, hupomone, you endure steadfastly. That's what Paul's encouraging them to do. Hey, don't just be strengthened in the inner man. Don't just be stabilized in the outer man. Don't just be sustained. Hey, do this with not only the presence and the power of God, but be strengthened according to his glorious mind in all things as you endure patiently. Yes, it's hard. Yes, here's the fact of life. And I, one I don't think I'm prepared for, but as I age, I am I'm already thinking as I get older, life will become more challenging. Now listen, here's what we think as kids. As I get older, the more free I'll become. No. As, what? I mean, there's days that I'm like, Lord, can I just like go back and like just be a kid again? Just be oblivious to the world around me, oblivious to the hardships and the trials of life, oblivious to death, oblivious to the pain Paul says, look, when you're strengthened with all power to his glorious might, he goes, it's all endurance. It's hupomone. It's steadfastly moving forward. And then he says, with patience, with joy. A patience with joy. What in the world does that look like? That's steadfastness. A patience with joy. Now listen, can I just tell you, I'm not that patient of a person. You know, I, I really am not. I, I, I'm a one-track mind. I oftentimes see things around me that aren't working, and I go, there's got to be a solution to fix it. I'm not married to a person like that, and so she doesn't see what I see, and oftentimes she does not have the same momentum or speed that I would desire her to have in fixing something. Which means, here's the deal, I can wreck relationships really quickly, or you can look at me and go, I mean, he looked right past me, which I'm sure I've done, and the reason why is because I see a problem and I desire a solution. And, and the reality is, is I also want to move swiftly and quickly, which means as we pull up to Walmart and we're trying to get out of the car, I can be in Walmart in 0 0.06 seconds because I'm there for a reason. I don't plan to get hot, you know, caught up. I've got things to do and people to see and meetings to have, so I need to run in, get my stuff, get right back out. My wife hasn't even shut the door and, and six minutes has passed. And I have a little girl that's just like her. And so they just kind of, I mean, they're just kind of going with the flow, right? For me, I can then get to the point where I'm like, hey, like you, you need to hurry it up. Like, and then if I'm not careful, I'm a, I'm a, I, I said this last week. And I, I, let me just clarify. When I say I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. 
So I am prone to go, hey, why are you taking so long? Like, why did I bring y'all along? I could have just, and then right there in that point, like, I'm not, so I'm not, you go, oh, well, he's enduring. No, like, enduring with patience and joy. That's the idea. It's not just to endure for the sake of going, hey, look how strong I am. It's to do it with joy. It's to do it knowing that as I experience hard times, as I experience suffering, that I would do it not only with hupomania, a steadfast endurance, but I would also do it with a spirit of hope and thankfulness and joy. That's what Paul desires here. Matter of fact, he goes on and he says this, as we think about patience with joy, um, he's going to say in a second that we give thanks to the Father. I'll show that to you in a second. But look what Look what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says just about this whole idea of hupomone and enduring patiently. He says this in James 1, verses 2 and following. He says, Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet uh, trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces hupomone, steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect on you, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That doesn't sound fun to me. Like we read it and he says, hey, enjoy the fact that you're going to have obstacles and hurdles and, and things to go maneuver through. Enjoy that. Because isn't that what makes us hupomone, steadfast? I'm like, can't, isn't there another way? Like, Lord, isn't there something easier? And he goes in, hey, if you want steadfastness, hupomone, to have its full effect on you, so that you might be per- perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, he goes, Hang on. And then we think about with joy. James says this in James chapter 5. They have brother Jesus. He goes, hey, have you ever considered Job? Y'all remember Job? Afflicted? Cursed? Friends thought he was a sinner? Look what it says in James chapter 5 verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. That's the same word, hupomone. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The implication and what James is saying, the way that the... The Lord taught Job that he sustained the whole man, strengthened the, the inner man, was stabilizing the outer man is through suffering and hardship and obstacles. Which I just go, Lord, surely, if I want to see your compassion and I want to see your mercy, surely there's an easier way. But Job saw the compassion, the mercy, and the goodness of God in his obstacles. Which is why Paul goes on, and he doesn't just in his prayer to the Colossae say, hey, that you would be strengthened with all power, with all endurance, with patience and joy. But he says now, giving thanks to the Father in verse 12. Giving thanks. So you mean to tell me that as I walk uprightly, as I'm strengthened in you, as I press on with all endurance, as I move forward, I am not only to have a happy heart, which is what I would call patience, but I'm also to give thanks even in trials and obstacles. Why? Yes, because I know that God's using those things. But more than that, it's because of something else. Look, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. So why do we begin to walk uprightly? Hey, why do we, why do we grow in wisdom and knowledge? Why do we bear fruit? Hey, why do we care about patience and joy? Because we're a part of a family. Because we've been changed from the inner man because we're being stabilized in the outer man, because we're being sustained by Christ as a whole person. Now listen, um, a handful of years ago, it's been about 16, there were two, two boys. Um, I'll use their names as Sam and Ethan. Sam and Ethan come into my life, and Sam and Ethan have been adopted by a family who I began to grow uh, in, in not only a great love and admiration for, but this family couldn't have children, so they adopted these two boys, Sam and Ethan, from Russia. 
Now, when Sam and Ethan and I met, we kind of instantly hit it off. We loved sports. They were competitive by nature, loved sports, all those things, which I get some of you in here like, I, I, don't, I don't care anything about that. And that's okay. Um, but you could just see their competitive nature. But as I got to know them, I began to see how their competitive nature a lot of times controlled them. And, and not only did it control them, um, I began to understand why they had a competitive nature that lacked self-control. They would oftentimes uh, be playing basketball, and uh, it would not be uncommon that I've now got to gather two families together because Sam, um, who's the older one, decided that he was going to waylay somebody and hit him right in the nose uh, because the basketball game didn't go the way he hoped. And so now we got blood running from somebody's nose. we got a fight. And then here you go, as a youth pastor, I'm like, I'm trying to explain this. Now, I didn't see it all go down, um, but let's kind of try to figure this out. And as the more that happened, the more you're like, okay, now we're going to have to figure out some new plans and new ways of doing things, right? Now, it wouldn't be uncommon that, that, that Sam and Ethan, too, would maybe grab some things that weren't theirs, that they would steal them and, and take them. It wasn't uncommon that you would hear about the obstacles that they were having in the house and in the home and at schools. and It was just a challenge situation, but you had this affinity and a love for them because you also understand kind of in some ways the complexity of their life. Growing up in Russia as orphans, um, having a mom that seemed to love the, the younger more than the older. There's complexity there. There's all these different things. And here's what I began to realize. I began to realize that these boys stole because that's how they fed themselves in Russia. I began to realize that they would fight for anything at the drop of a hat because that's what they had to learn to do. They were fighters by nature. The only way they survived in such a hard and difficult setting and environment was to steal and to fight because they were searching for some sort of identity and ultimately in their own inheritance. Now, transplant these two young men into a culture with a new family with a new set of values, and then they're also trying to help these kids realize there's a God in heaven who loves them, and they're going, well, one, I don't believe in your God, and number two, I, I don't need you. We don't need you as a family. Like, you think, can you imagine the complexity of that? But here's what I want you to understand. Over time, these parents were able to teach them the beautiful story of God and his word, but they are also shaping their hearts and their minds. And you know what they wanted them to know more than anything? Listen, you don't have to steal because everything you need is provided for you. Listen, Sam, Ethan, you're not orphans to us. You are our heirs. We did not have children and we chose to have you as our children. You don't have to fight because we will protect you. You don't have to starve because you'll, you're going to always have what you need. You have an inheritance. Friends, that is what Paul is trying to help us realize. Why do we walk uprightly? Hey, why do we endure hard things? Hey, why do we count it all joy when we suffer and when life is difficult? It's because we have an inheritance that we share with the saints in light. It's the reminder that even in our journey, the Lord will not leave us. He will not forsake us. Why? Because he goes, you're a son. You're a daughter. Don't act as if you don't know me anymore. You are not an orphan. You're not a stranger. You're my heir. And friends, the more we experience the loving kindness of God and we are his heirs, the more we should walk in him. Which is the admonition, and I'm not going to put it for you up on the screen, but in Hebrews you see in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews just says, hey, you should endure. And he goes, and as you endure, he goes, you should not shrink back. Friends, if you're not walking uprightly, 
then you're either standing or you're sitting or you're shrinking back. And my encouragement to you would be to walk. And not only to walk uprightly, but to walk in wisdom and to walk in all of God's power and that you would walk with his patience and his grace. Friends, I want you to know that this year can be different. Not because you set goals and hopes and dreams or because you finally uh, begin to do all that you set on your task manager list. It can be different because you and I don't have to, cha- to choose the same rut that we've always chosen. I want to end and conclude with this. Uh, it's an autobiography in five short chapters. Maybe you've read it before. If not, you'll be reading it again shortly and share it with your friends. But it's by uh, Portia Nelson. And, and I'm going to read all five chapters to you real quickly. It's real short. Here it says, chapter one. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I, don't, uh, I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. And it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down another street. That is the point. Jeremiah says this, the prophet, in just an incredible way. He goes, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Jeremiah goes, look, there's an ancient way. And kids, I understand that the ancient way doesn't seem as if it yokes itself to freedom. The ancient past seems so old and so far outdated. And it seems in some ways to confine us so much. There's so many rules. Who are you to tell me what my my identity would be? How are you to tell me that this one book can, can organize all my life? That seems so constraining. It seems so old, so dull. And Jeremiah the prophet goes, listen, find the ancient path. It's good. Walk in it. Friends, we live in a culture where the ancient path is taught as if it's not good. We live in a culture where the ancient path is not explored much because we continually, continually say, explore a new way. Hey, make something of yourself. Explore your identity. You're created like this. Enjoy it. Listen, I I pray that I'm not the only one sounding the alarm. I pray I'm not the only one saying, no, 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 no. Choose your path wisely. And more than that, look for the ancient one. Find the good path, the one that leads to life and the freedom, the one that, that is led by the light and the truth. And walk uprightly in it. Don't shrink back in fear, for the Lord delights in those who love him and fear him, and walk in him. Friends, may we be that people this year. And may we encourage people in that.
And you may go, well, you know what? But I feel like I'm walking alone. I feel like I'm all by myself. Hey, you don't have to be. February 20th, they were sharing on both campuses. Hey, you got group link. You can get in a journey group. Okay, you're like, well, how do I do that? Listen, if you're here, we encourage you to come next week and the following to what we call starting point. That means get out of the starting blocks. Figure out who we are, what we believe. Get plugged in. Don't do this alone. A rut is bad. It's even worse when you're alone. Ever been on a long journey? Blow out a tire? Have no one to call? No tools? Pretty frustrating. Don't do it alone. Start at starting point. And then if you're here, you're a member of our church, hey, hop in. Maybe you're not a member. You're like, I'm not ready to explore all that, but I do need some help. Hey, listen, we have what's called regeneration. It's a, a, a ministry that happens on Monday nights. Um, mi this ministry has impacted my life in profound ways. And it's a, it, it would be a blessing to everyone here. Why? Because it's a discipleship ministry. Just tell, this teaches you how to walk in Christ. You want to walk uprightly? Regen has 12 tools to help you walk uprightly. That's what it does. It teaches you how to walk in his ways. Happens on Monday nights. Now listen, there are a couple of slight changes happening in the ministry. Um, most of all, involving the on-ramp. In the last really six or seven years that we've offered Regen, you could come any Monday night of the year and you could start. Because of uh, really some really leadership challenges and some needs, what we're going to do is, is we're going to give limited on-ramp. And then we'll open it back up in six months and we'll give another on-ramp. But the on-ramp for 2022 ends in four Monday nights. So you've got all Monday nights in January to get started. We encourage you to come. We'd love to see you tomorrow night at 7 p.m. You don't have to be addicted. You don't have to need recovery to come. It's, it's for anyone who wants to walk uprightly. Want to learn how to walk uprightly? Come. We'd love to have you. It'd be a blessing to you. It'll change your life. I promise. We'd love to see you. If you go, I don't have time for that, hey, hop in a journey group. Either way, hey, walk uprightly and don't do it alone. May the Lord bless us. May he keep us. May he make his face shine upon us as we leave this place. And may he encourage us to walk in his ways. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we love you and thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen and stabilize us, sustain us by your power. God, help us to walk in the ancient way, the good way. Help us to be patient in our trials, to endure our sufferings, and to remain steadfast. And all the while, not shrinking back and giving thanks in all of our challenges. We love you and we thank you that we not only have you with us, but that you will guide us and sustain us, that you will strengthen and establish us. We love you and thank you for your graciousness. In Jesus' name, amen.